Three, two, one. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, whatever you're in the world. So this is Our Body, Our Business podcast with me, Ola, and we have Rachel Hunter, our second guest on the podcast. And we are very excited to have Rachel uh, today. And I'll tell you a little bit of the story, how we met with Rachel. We did m and together in 2020, imagine, three years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oof. That went quick. <laughs> three years ago. Um, yeah, and we got um, a bit more, like, we, we, we did communicate more while exams time mm -hmm. because it was very stressful. And then we met in the UK during graduation. And, you know, as it happens with the uh, MNU graduate, we started following each other on Instagram. And long story short, Rachel wrote a post in November, which I read. Um, it was very emotional for me as well. Um, I related to a lot of things and it kind of sat with me for a while for a long time, and some phrases were still coming back to me. Um, and then last week, I think two weeks ago, I just said, no, it would be good to talk about this. So I got in touch with Rachel. And uh, by the way, uh, Rachel <clears throat> is a coach, full-time coach now, because when we graduated from MNU, correct me if I'm wrong, you were still in the banking financial system working mm -hmm. full-time. And this is admiring that after a year or year and a half of graduation, um, Rachel is now full-time coach and she's doing what she loves. Uh, she's living currently in two countries, between two countries, the UK and Canada. Yeah, I kind of am, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see like, oh, she's in Canada now. But she was born in the States. And the first, what, 12, 15 years of your life you spent in the States. Yeah, so born in Canada, grew up in the States, which means I'm stuck with an American accent for forever. Um, but I've lived in the UK now for almost seven years. Wow. Yeah, I know. Move Where are they paying? Uh, I'm just north of London. So mm -hmm. like between London and Milton Keynes, if anyone is familiar with uh, this part of the world, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> so you're very welcome. Rachel, um, oh, and we had um, a short discussion before the recording uh, button was pressed. So we said, okay, we better start recording this because it's all very interesting. So I'd say uh, the first question is about your post and where, so, so Rachel's post was, um, why did I become a coach, right? And my question is, why did you decide to become a coach? Because it looks like you had a very successful career in financial sector. It was all growing naturally. Um, but you you give a lot of insights into why you decided to switch. And the the the, the very one of the important phrases that really um, related to me was health and fitness uh, industry misses out on real people. So on to you. So I sort of like sat down and wrote that post like kind of in a bit of like a fury like I kind of just like drummed it out after I'd received probably oh geez I don't know must have been like my sixth or seventh intake like consultation form in a row like obviously not all in the same day but like I'd seen it quite a lot where clients were like I know a lot, right? Like a lot of my clients come to me and they're very educated in nutrition. They know what works. Mm -hmm. There's an implementation problem. They have like a system problem. They're, they're only, there's a certain lens in which you look through like behavior change and lifestyle change and stuff. And if you're only looking at it through nutrition, oh, well, if you just increase your protein and increase veggies and do this and do that, then there's a lot of stuff that's missed. And, you know, so fair enough, but then they would be like, so like, basically cut the BS. Don't like, you don't have to tell me like, just try harder and it'll all be fine. And, you know, like, I just need 
you to help move the meter. Like I need help doing that. But like, I've had so many people who are just like, yeah, if you just, uh, eat, eat less and move more and it will all happen for you. And I was like, no, like, that's the thing. Like I get where you're coming from. I understand what you mean. At this point, I was speaking to, um, one of my good friends, who's also a coach, um, Bon, who is hilarious and a legend and generally speaking, amazing, uh, be more Bon on Instagram. If anyone wants a little bit of inspo of like people, cool people doing cool stuff. And her and I are what I like to refer to as like coaches of average size, (laughs) I'm an average sized UK woman. Well, technically my upper body is like smaller and my lower body is not. So the average is that I'm an average like UK 14, 16 or whatever. And her and I, I spoke to her quite a bit when, you know, we were at a workshop a few weeks ago and I was like, I almost don't want to I don't want to talk about the fact that I've sustained quite a great deal of weight loss because it's not, that doesn't actually help my clients at all. And I was like, I don't want to give a number to it. I don't, you know, I don't think that that's inspirational to people because I think it just sets them further back being like, oh, well, if you lost X amount of weight and you've kept off for X number of years, then why can't I? Mm. why it it increases the level of shame that people feel when they aren't getting where they want to go but again it's sort of like the system is probably bad they're not looking at it from a comprehensive perspective or you know they're not problem solving it which that's what coaches are for that's what individualized one-on-one coaching is for is because you have it like a teammate to problem solve with you you have someone to collaborate with so you know that by no means is like oh well you're not doing this that's why it's not working it's like as human beings it's incredibly difficult to be objective about yourself Hmm. you know because we just we can't we struggle so you know some people can do it and they win the lottery and a lot of people can't, and that's just normal. So her and I were speaking, cause it's sort of like, I don't want to perpetuate my ability to coach others by how much fat loss I've like succeeded in having. She's like, I just pick random things. So she's like, I used to say I've lost the amount of like a medium dog. And she's like, and now I say, cause she's like, continues to lose weight. She's like, but now I say that I've lost roughly the equivalent of one of those Instagram influencers. <laughs> so I haven't quite come up with mine. I feel like in the realm of like a German shepherd, I don't know, but you know, essentially from living in a body that was much, much larger at a time where, you know, it wasn't cool to have a big butt. It wasn't, you know, it we're coming off of like the Kate Moss, nothing tastes better than skinny feels vibes and I was a you know very very large teenager and I just like I I knew everyone knew and I knew I didn't want to feel like that anymore but it was sort of like my weight was a symptom of a bigger problem of things that I like as I got older and had a little bit more autonomy in my life and got away from situations that were not healthy for me, then all of a sudden it was like, oh, wait a second. Oh, now I can start to unpick and unravel. And I can, I do have a little bit more control over my environment. I can look after myself in a better way and I can do all these things. And it's sort of like, but at the time when it was sort of like, well, if you just try harder, you would get there. And it was like, I can't even begin to describe to you how hard I am trying. You know, it's, I am working my butt off to get where I want to go and nothing is working. And it's just sort of like, so when I see that come through on client forms where it's like, please don't tell me to like buck up and just try harder. I was like, not my vibe. I never would because I completely, I get it. I understand what it's like and you know me sitting here and being like well if I did it you can do it like that's just survivorship bias that's just me tooting my own horn and is actually not helpful advice whatsoever (laughs) 
And I think, you know, so that kind of, that post was inspired by the fact that I really do think that unconditional positive regard is a great place to start in coaching. And equally, because we live in an environment that is very obesogenic, where our environment fuels uh, eating really, really high calorie dense foods in a very cheap, fast, easy, convenient way. We work too many hours. We have high stress jobs. We sit often in office jobs. Like it's, it, we're, the whole thing is stacked against us. So it's not, you know, it's not productive on the, oh yeah, just try harder. And I felt, I was like, you know, I actually want to write this from the perspective of someone who not only understands like the nutrition research, what weight stigma does to people, the fact that there is a relationship between people living with obesity and people who have survived trauma, as well as um, just appreciating that it's like what actually moves the meter what does the evidence say in regard to energy balance and lifestyle change and behavior change and all of these things and it was sort of like I want to like I felt writing that post like I was sticking up for the underdogs because like that was me you know like everyone just saw me and assumed they knew everything about me oh you must be lazy oh you be you're beautiful for a big girl and it was like no oh. I'm just beautiful right oh, like no oh. that's not Did true that was actually it. tell you this like oh my God, all the time it's like a teenager oh. and like in my early 20s it was all the time all the time so it's the kind of thing it's just like it's it happens a lot it's sort of like weight uh stigma and fat phobia and all that stuff is it really is sort of like death by a thousand cuts so i it fascinates me now if you know especially um in dating and things if someone says something to me like well you know haha girls worst nightmare on dating apps is that they get murdered and a man's worst nightmare is that they're overweight and they say it to me and i'm just sort of like yeah but that realistically like that's me you know it's mm -hmm. not you don't see who I used to be but like obviously I was here the whole time <laughs> I remember <laughs> what it's like to live in a much larger body and I actually just think you're an idiot now like because again it's sort of it's the assumption fully based it's I know everything about you based off of how you look mm. And it's just so self-defeating and the, the fitness industry just, you know, I, I wanted to coach because it was sort of like, I, I find the science behind it really interesting, but then mm -hmm. equally, I just want people to feel like they stand a chance. That's I, right. you know, it's the, the underdog comeback of the century where it's sort of like, we know that if you lose five to 10% of your body weight, you can improve health markers from a clinical mm -hmm. perspective. But if you're 300 and something pounds, five to 10% of your body weight, it, you might not notice it from looking at somebody. They mm -hmm. might never lose more than that. Mm -hmm. And that has, we have to be able as a society to find a way to accept that. But unfortunately, the onus is placed on the person who is living in that body to be the courageous one and be like, nope, this is me. I'm going to continue lifting weights and I'm going to eat my veggies and I'm going to go for a walk every day. And I'm going to, you know, I'm doing all the things to look after myself well, but still appreciating that it's, you know, people are still going to look at you and assume something about you when they realistically just have no idea. um yeah very powerful that's what I, what I said yeah Ole, you were supposed to say something uh I was thinking um oh, a, a question was uh in my mind um whether you Rachel internalized uh weight stigma and what helped you to get rid of it and I probably did for a long time you know um god I don't even know I feel like from growing up 
in sort of like a very tumultuous childhood right like I think for me it was it wasn't just again it's sort of like that's just looking at like one piece of the puzzle where I grew up and I was like I don't always want to feel like this like I don't always want to feel anxious I don't always want to feel reactive to everything like but I was so persistent and like personal growth is something that I really, really value that like I just sort of hunted, I started hunting down answers. So realistically, I think that kind of fell away as a part of like my mental health improving, finding healthy, sustainable, safe relationships, building, you know, a quote unquote chosen family and like having a network of people who really love me, who support me in a positive way is extremely helpful. And all of these people who I love very much, who love me very much, didn't give a flying fill in any four letter word, what I looked like, what I was eating, how much I weighed, how much I exercised or didn't exercise. And I think for me, that was sort of like, oh wait, it like the people who matter don't care. Whereas the people who want to project all of their insecurities onto me, they really care what I look like. They really care how much I weigh. They really care how, what I eat, how much I exercise. If I care about losing weight, they care about the things that they can't control in other people, which is just, you know, now we can all, you know, if you been to therapy and you've done that personal like journey of mental health and stuff like we know now that that's just it's just an emotional immaturity thing like it just doesn't compute um so I I think the answer is yes I probably did internalize that for a long thing and it it was a a deep portion of I suppose like self-loathing it crossed my mind that I was like, I'm not a size six. Like, should I even bother getting qualified as a coach? I think I would be really good at it. And I was like, but do I even have any business like being a coach and not being, not having shredded abs? So even, you know, I think that there's a certain point where even getting qualified, even, uh, even coaching people, sometimes I'm like, it's not about me. But it's, yeah, I, th- I don't know if I have gotten rid of it. And I don't think that there's a simple answer to that other than like a continual unrelenting journey of like self-acceptance, looking after my mental health, knowing what I need to do to make sure I'm in a fairly balanced place. Because, you know, no one is ever happy all the time or sad all the time or anything. But if you're in a place of being responsive to things from your environment instead of reactive, that's about as good as you're going to get, right? So I think for me, it was, I spent a lot of time and energy and money on my mental health. And that kind of went part and parcel with it. Mm But a big part of it for me was, you know, finding people in my life who supported me irrespective of what I looked like or what I did or how I exercised or not exercised or whatever it was. Like just the the fact that I had people in my life who truly valued me for who I am made a huge difference for me, a huge difference. So again, coming back to environment impacting how we feel about ourselves so two things environment and as you say loads of emotional um, energy and finances into mental health Mm -hmm. so in this case let's say the question in my head right (laughs) while you were talking also so when when clients come with the understanding of nutrition how it works they say look I know how it works I've tried, don't, don't give me this. Where do you start with them? Like, what do you do with them? I think it's just, you know, it depends on, it always depends on the person, which is always the worst cop-out answer, but that's why individualized nutrition coaching has, Mm -hmm. you know, of all of lifestyle change has the best outcomes because it's personalized to you. Like all of my clients, I would say we had, there's a, a big underpinning of 
things that they are all doing, Mm. but the ways in which they go about them are all extremely different and no two are the same. So I think, you know, it's, it's very dependent on the person, but I think also that comes from, you know, the behavior change model and the, okay, I know what to do, but I'm not doing it. Okay. Well then we need to get you doing something. This is something that's important to you. You're obviously, you know, a very smart, well-respected person in your profession. Now we need to take all of these transferable skills from you being a parent, from you in your job, from, you being like a wife or a mom or whatever it is and put that back into yourself and then create a system that is repeatable for you for forever. So not in an energy deficit forever, not in, you know, a calorie deficit forever, definitely not. Uh, But that, you know, then from that perspective, it's always goal dependent as well. But I think getting started and just reconfirming what exactly it is that isn't that is important to them and i always i always ask okay well where do you feel like it goes wrong because 9 times out of 10 we all know what that one thing is for us snacking after the kids go to bed boredom eating, skipping breakfast because you're in too much of a hurry. And then you have sort of like an unplanned eating episode in the evening or not eating regular meals and then feeling rubbish when you do eat. Um, Just, you know, can't be bothered to go for a walk if it's below 15 degrees outside, you know, not, not making the time in our day for ourselves. Because again, like desk jobs, especially working from home, it's so easy to get carried away and just like drum away at your keyboard. And then you get to 5 p.m. and you're like, I've done 500 steps. I feel like garbage. I didn't eat a good lunch. Like, so I think it's also just like the general human nature. And this is for everybody. So I'm kind of speaking from the perspective of like fat loss because that often is uh, what my clients are seeing me for. But it certainly doesn't even have to be for fat loss. It's for anything. You know, you can know what you need to do and it can still be very, very hard because behavior change is very hard. And, you know, like kind of what we were just chatting about, whatever your habits are, maladaptive, adaptive, whatever they are, at some point, they served you and they helped you cope with whatever was going on in your life. So you might not be in that point anymore. You might not be struggling with those things anymore, but those habits have remained. And now we need to unravel the habits and change them and redirect them. But none of that is easy. None of that. And it doesn't matter if you're trying to put on muscle, gain weight, run a faster 10K, like lose body fat, create lifestyle change. Lifestyle change and behavior change inherently are difficult because our brain likes shortcuts. It wants to be as efficient as possible. I want to go back to, um, yeah, that, that sorry about the brain that I was just reading Paul Gilbert this morning and um, that glitch that he's calling glitch between old brain and new brain, mm-hmm. new brain that is able to be flexible and have a neuroplasticity and the old brain all only know safety or run away when there is danger and there's nothing in between them and that is the glitch in the brain that 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 we have to work on to create new patterns of thinking and accepting and looking at ourselves from a different perspective um and what was very helpful in this case is um, to look at the whole, you know, weight stigma and problems in the fitness industry from the um, positive body image uh, regard um, that I, I don't know about you, but let's say w- when I see this 12, 16 weeks um body weight transformation before and photos look at me um I'm, I'm this you know I've achieved this you can do this in 16 weeks and you can have the body um of your dream 
and all about this multi-million companies because there are smaller coaching but there are big companies right and we all know them that even there's a lady in the north uh, of um, Ireland offers loads of money if you win the first place let's say if you're getting really shredded mm -hmm. within 16 weeks she gives away 50k to people and they're like yeah she's very Good popular Lord. in the states and canada so she gives like 50k and then 30k for the second place and then whatever and people get really it's like you can see phenomenal results thousands of people go through this system but we never ever see what happens to them after yeah we never have the research or nobody ever and this is something very interesting i don't know maybe, maybe somebody heard about this kind of research but I would really like to know what happens after because I had three coaches I had one uh, from famous American coaching um, system that is all mm -hmm. over internet right 16 weeks the guy was a former marine right so this was like this okay we're gonna push it a little bit more and a little bit more look this is like the week 12 okay we're left a little bit more if we can push one pound off and guess what eating disorder was knocking my door <laughs> right after and yeah once the program was finished oh my god eating disorder was there so eating disorder put on put back on weight right what do we do let's find another person who is who knows more about the training right part let's <laughs> train hard because <laughs> he knows how to train uh i don't have much experience let's train okay we created a program we started training true training very well he said you need to go a little bit of surplus you know to put those bit more muscles in your body creating the surplus means what more weight <laughs> and then when he sensed that there's something more than just changing body he said oh i'm not an expert in this here's the girl phd she will help you i don't know thank you mm. so much goodbye I, I can't work with you anymore i work only with professional athletes who want to get muscles and who want to be on the stage guess what coach number three after this <laughs> which was you know, I I don't know. Uh, yes, educated. Yes, calorie deficit, which I knew already. But I needed somebody, you know, once per week or once per 10 days. As now I can, I can analyze mm. now. I need somebody to listen to me. But I never asked myself a question. Why did you need this person to listen to you? And now I understand because it was a very hard time of my life very lonely, very X, Y, Z. So the problem wasn't in 4kgs, right? And yeah. I was praised, right? I was praised, oh my God, you lost 5kgs, well done. Do we need to go any further? I was like, oh yeah, maybe not, it's fine. Um, I can fit into some of my dresses, some I can't fit, who cares? Um, but the deeper problem was never addressed. And for the past year, when the deeper problem has been addressed and going back to what you said, Rachel, relationships that are meaningful, where you're respected, where you feel saved, either you're 84, 94, 74, who cares? Yeah. Um, why was they talking? About oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. About, you know, the, the coaching as, as such. Yeah. This. So nobody gives you actually what happens after the coaching program. It ends. And I just told yeah. you three what happened to me? I Nobody addressed the psychological part of it, the deeper psychological part beyond even motivational interviewing. Yeah, and I think that that's like, then you're dipping out into the realm of like, where do we all land on the ethics of that, right? And I think that that's a really complicated answer because I could 100% coach people through 12 week transformations no problem like I could you want to be shredded I can make you shredded because the type of people that you attract with that are people who typically who are like quite type a bodybuildery type and I could get you the results that you want ain't no problem honey but like to for me to what end that is not the part that I enjoy that's not the part that I I don't like I love my clients getting closer to the goals that they decided on, that they feel are closely aligned with their values, that 
fits into their lifestyle that they feel they're making healthier choices. They have freedom with food. They, you know, they're still eating regular meals. They're still focusing on protein and veggies, but they aren't, you know, haunted by a brownie in the cupboard that they're thinking about because they can eat it whenever they want. But do you actually want it right now? Well, no. Okay. So then they move on with their life. Like that is the kind of stuff that I really, really like. So for me, it would just make no sense for me knowing that there is a risk for people to end up a lot worse than how I found them after 12 weeks, when in reality, a one-to-one coaching client can be with you from anywhere for three months, people will get enough out of it, they move on, they've learned, they're good. Some people, it's like two years or more. And it doesn't mean that anyone's on a a faster or slower journey. It's all completely dependent on the person and what they're getting out of coaching. Equally, you know, if someone's signing up for a 12-week program, it's not necessarily on them. Should those programs be screening for people who are at risk? Probably. You know, like I am currently coaching for Big Rocks Nutrition. We just started our Instagram. Everybody go give us a little cheeky little follow. Um, But we screen for eating disorders. Every single client, because just because you're working with a a person one-on-one does not mean that a nutrition coach in any form or fashion is equipped to help with an eating disorder. So we screen for people who have had them. Additionally, like when I'm doing an intake form, I'm always looking out for red flags. Always, 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 always. So I think it's so, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because there are a lot of people who will feel a sense of accomplishment from doing a 12 week challenge. But as the research kind of supports extrinsic motivation. So things like I want to lose 20 pounds or 10 pounds, or I want to be a size 10 dress by June, or I want to win $10,000. That motivation has a shelf life and it has an expiration date and it can get you started. It will get you in the gym. Maybe it'll get you to, you know, buy some Tupperware for a bit of meal prep in the office, but like it will not sustain you. And that's where, you know, you pulling at, well, what do you value? How can you embody the values that you have? What do your behaviors match your values? Do your goals match your values? Are you all aligned? Is it, you know, and then sometimes it's sort of, you look at everything, the client will look at everything on paper, be like, do I really want care about fat loss? And it's like, maybe not, but you know, cool. So again, we can still eat veggies. We can still go to the gym. You don't have to want to lose weight. Um, So I think that's a difficult one because I'm sure there are some coaches that do transformations really well and who have really high levels of integrity and really take care of their clients through that process. And maybe they even have like some sort of like after coaching program set up to support. A lot of them don't. (laughs) A lot of them will leave people, some people really truly worse off than how they found them. Um, And I think that it is difficult because I mean I've screened I've had people from eating disorders like enough red flags that I've like declined them as a client Mm -hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're in a place to want to accept that help for that problem so this is the other thing where it's sort of like there is an element of you can only lead a horse to water unfortunately like there are people who they aren't in a position emotionally physically like spiritually to be going to therapy to Mm -hmm. be doing that stuff and often you know as nutrition coaches I think that we do have a little bit of responsibility to screen for those people who could end up at risk for those things but ultimately like I you know I've sent people links for charities for binge eating disorder for example and it doesn't mean that they're gonna go I hope they do Mm. But I, you know, it's, it's a tricky one because I think that as, yeah, as coaches, we can only do our best to try and screen people so that we don't leave them worse off. But ultimately that desire for change doesn't come from us. And I sometimes will ask clients like, oh, do you, are you working with a therapist at the moment? Do you 
have like have you in the past and blah 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 and, oh yeah yeah of course so then I you know depending on what's going on I feel better knowing that they're safe uh but equally again I can't I can't make anyone want to care and I can't the next coach that you know they go to instead I can't make them screen for eating disorders so it just you know mm-hmm. oh part of the dog in the background um it is a it's a yeah it's a it's a really tricky one it's a really tricky one and unfortunately it's sort of I think we have to we can only control what we can control right and so having integrity in your service and doing the best you can with what you have but we can't make people want to care about their mental health if they're really fixated on their body image or their weight or winning money or you know whatever it is whatever that thing is which is unfortunate and our society fuels the desire to want to be thin at any expense oftentimes so that's again the environment's not helpful to be like no I'm not gonna worry about those like 20 pounds I'm just gonna I'm gonna go to therapy and work on myself but if you were like I'm gonna lose 20 pounds and I'm gonna better myself probably some of your friends would be like, yeah, good for you. <laughs> Meanwhile, their mental health is spiraling, you know, it's, it, it's tricky. It's a hard one. Yeah. So many people think that once they lose weight, their mental health, improve. but it doesn't happen. It's, it's an illusion. Yeah. Uh, and it works in different, uh, in, in an opposite way. And very often once mental health is addressed, suddenly they don't need to lose weight anymore yeah and it's you know or or if they do if they've like been told by their doctor to improve health markers that they should or whatever then they're at least coming it's a more balanced place right then we can start to pull at those uh strings of like cool and how does this all relate into your values how can we how can we feel like fuel this engine in such a way that it's sustainable instead of just nitro fuel yeah exactly how can we how can we build on the intrinsic motivation so your motivation for yourself what drives you forward as a purpose like as a person gives you purpose and meaning beyond just yeah I could use the extra like 50 bucks if I win Mm -hmm. because it doesn't you know it's a false start it it only it might get you in the door but it won't keep you going to the gym for example Mm-hmm. going to the gym um interesting i'm glad you said this phrase uh we had an interesting conversation before before the the recording and um i've heard a lot of uh, comments let's say or just feedback from women um middle age um they wouldn't go to the gym because of the certain size that they are um, they feel ashamed, they don't feel welcomed, um, and all the fitness uh, gurus are around. Maybe not, and maybe yes, but this the, the, their perception is that they are judged um, mm-hmm. based on the size. It's like, what what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I, want, I want you to, to talk a little bit, you know, about the what you've noticed or which problems do you see with women a certain size that is not eight or ten when you go to the gym maybe from your clients because the the purpose of this question is to give people the understanding that they are not alone that Mm. this is okay that this is normal um that you shouldn't be afraid or feel ashamed uh yeah so for that because nobody talks about this right it's only people that you're very close to maybe or they trust you they might say look I don't feel like you know yeah I don't feel great about that this. I'm supposed to wear to the gym is very uncomfortable and I don't feel like you know revealing um and where do I buy this clothes even <laughs> because it's all yeah. the same that's a huge problem yeah absolutely I think the first I suppose thing to recognize is like I don't necessarily think that it's hinged on size I think there is an association you know with weight stigma and things that if you do have a little bit of extra body fat and people 
you know, are far too willing to comment on what you eat or how you exercise or whatever, just because again, they think that they know you, that can make it a little bit more difficult to be in an environment where, you know, if you walk in and some little 18 year old personal trainer is like, cardio is good for fat loss. And it's like, I didn't say anything to you about what my goals are. Like, again, you're just making an assumption based off of how I look. And, but I think lots of people struggle with being intimidated in the gym of all sizes. Mm -hmm. And especially it is often like women, because if you are in leggings for example even if you're covered neck to ankles like you because it's like form fitting or tight or your your clothes are you know somewhat revealing it can it can feel awkward to like do a bent over row in a weight section if you're new and you just assume everyone's staring at you when it's the reality is 99% of like huge jacked dudes in the weight section of a gym are a lovely B they only care about what they're doing. (laughs) They barely even know that you're alive or exist or are on the same planet as them. And also I think that there's an element as well of like the actual identity you hold as a human being. So I think for me, when I was at my biggest I didn't struggle all that much with like gym intimidation but part of that is because I played a ton of sports as a kid I played every sport under the sun so for me turning up and exercising when you don't feel like it is just like being on a team sport I don't always feel like going to practice. I, you know, I didn't always feel like staying late after school. I was always exhausted after school, but it's like, yep, yeah, but I committed to being on this team and participating in the sport. So I'm just going to go do that. And then you all, it changes your, because I didn't play sports that was, we were particularly um, like dependent on body size. In fact, like my size, like I've been, I'm five foot nine. And I was five foot seven by the time I was like 12. So I was very tall, very young. (laughs) Well, very tall is relative, I suppose. But, you know, so I think like my height was an advantage. So I also had the opportunity to sort of dabble in the fact that it's not just what my body looks like. It's what I can do. Um, So then when I was in university and I was like, I fancy going to the gym because I don't, you know, I want to improve again, sort of like this perpetual engine for self-development, self-growth, which I don't really know why I have that. I just do. Um, But that's the other thing is that that's something that's wrapped up in my identity. So it's sort of like, you can't give that to someone. Oh, I played sports as a kid. So I identify as someone who goes to the gym because I just see that as a normal part of me as a person here, take some of mine. You won't necessarily feel the same way if you were, you know, in chess club or theater club, or, you know, it's, you might not feel like the, like you have the friction or sorry, the wheels are sort of greased for you to get into the gym because it's a part of your identity. So, you know, again, it's sort of challenging where as an adult and if someone has, if you can, like, if you've had people making comments about your weight and then you go into a gym, you're creating a whole new identity and you're going against all of these people who, you know, you sort of feel this impending pressure from society to not be the way you are, but also a sense of shame for going to a place that could potentially support you in that endeavor. You know, it's, it's hard. The mental gymnastics that you have to do are hard. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but I think, you know, just acknowledging that not everyone has the same experience walking into a gym, just hopping on a treadmill and feeling fine about it. Mm. It can be a lot. It can be pushing a boat up a hill. So I think from the perspective of like an actual practical tip of getting, if you want to get into the gym, you want to lift weights, no matter what your goals are, or, you know, you want to feel more physically active, whatever it is, you have to start small and you have to be willing to accept that as a win. Mm -hmm. 
and even like celebrate it. So if you see yourself in five years as the type of person who goes to the gym three times a week, then to start, your goal is to get into the gym. You pass through the doors. And some days that's all you're going to do. And you just go home. <laughs> and that is enough because again, it's it's rewiring your brain and, and deepening the neural pathways that makes it a part of your habits, your identity, who you are. And that's not easy when you're also flying in the face of what society expects you to be or what society tells you you are because you're a certain size or shape or, you know, you were in the theater, like musical theater club as a kid. So what business do you have lifting weights? And it's like, well, everybody can slash should. So, you know, everyone should be welcome, but it certainly doesn't feel that way. Or you might just not go to the gym if you don't want to <laughs> you know, yeah like this is the thing it's like else. yeah I think the gym is such a easy example but even from the perspective of like if you take like a dance class mm. if you're on if you feel self-conscious in your body that might not even if it's something that yeah. you're like I feel like I really want to do something like that like I want to try bar or Pilates or yoga or dance or even like a painting class just to have something that you enjoy you know if some if boredom eating is something that is a problem for you then maybe it's a case of finding things that you actually enjoy you don't feel bored by so like you know might sound a little bit silly to talk about like going to an art class for nutrition but like if you have more stuff that you like to do (laughs) you might not be as bored (laughs) that goes back to that connectedness can be connected piece that we need to create some kind of connection to have the fulfillment, right? Because why the mm-hmm. boredom eating happens when you are lonely and it, it's not physically lonely, you know, because you can be around other people and still feel lonely. Um, doesn't matter. You can be married and still feel lonely. Not at all. Married partners, doesn't matter. Uh, but again, that, that piece of being connected to whatever feels good to be connected because sometimes in the gym when I was alone in the gym uh, but I still felt connected to the I don't know community and one day the guy came up to me and said oh my god what is it that you are lifting there let me count and you know it was it was a nice innocent uh, comment right um I mean he really wanted to support me and that was really nice because I started doing it with other especially women not not men especially women you know when I see somebody trying really hard I would say that's a really good amount oh my god I'm admiring your I don't know deadlift or something mm-hmm. and girls like oh I'm gonna lift more next time um so for some gym could be but again it's all what what Rachel said like even if if it's art club that makes you feel connected to people or to the things that you do yeah this is the thing it's you know first you have to like if there's a pattern that is persisting then the first thing you should do is slow down the pattern and be able to identify what is like setting it off so for me historically like I would kind of get a like any sort of, I suppose, like unplanned eating, I guess, would usually be associated with some form of like anxious feeling Mm. about something. And like my brain works very quickly. You know, I have 500 tabs open at any given moment and like three of them are playing music. So I can... And if I'm sort of like feeling a little bit buzzy, a little bit anxious, I can catastrophize quite quickly. And at the time it was sort of like, I didn't really recognize that as a pattern, but again, working through a lot of mental health stuff. And then also the more I learned about nutrition, it's sort of like actually a really good and healthy approach to food is that like, I'm a, it, the unconditional permission to eat. I can eat any food that I want. But then that also means that I have to engage what foods I actually want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What, you know, how, what are, what goals do I have? How can I best support my health and enjoy a brownie and not think twice about it? Mm. Like, or if I have a bite of a brownie, that's terrible. I don't need to eat it because if I come across one that I like three days from now, I'll just have that one instead. Right? Like, 
but you have to be able to then, okay, if I'm feeling a little bit anxious, what can I do? And this is one of those things that maybe you can work that out on your own. Maybe you can try journaling or meditating or going for a walk or, you know, some sort of changing the pattern of immediately like sort of rummaging the snack cupboard. Or that is something that you work out with a therapist. Maybe it's it's not an anxious feeling. It's a lot of, you know, quote unquote, big feelings that you need to speak to a professional about. But where I feel like nutrition coaches can be helpful is just if you're, again, if those are the coping mechanisms that served you when you weren't in a good place, you're in a good place now, you, you know, you're safe and healthy and happy and all of these things that old neural pathway is just still operating like it always has. So our job then is to slow down the pattern and identify, okay, what are you feeling? I have a couple of clients and it it always seems to be the transition from work to home. It feels overwhelming. Maybe they didn't have a big enough lunch. They didn't plan a protein snack for the afternoon. And the stress of swapping from being on, on, on all the time at work to then on, on, on parent mode mm. is a lot. And actually sitting in their car for 10 minutes, it's not like just taking 10 minutes to just sit there and chill out. No work, no kids, no partners, just relaxing mm. has changed. You know, that changes the pattern, but you know, that's not me being a therapist. That's just being a coach and problem solving with somebody because they rec- they you know they are able to be resilient and work through their problems because again it's just sort of that's just an old pattern that they never really recognize as something that's a problem that could be stopping them from reaching their goals it's interesting what you said recognizing uh what do you really want in terms of food even for me it mm-hmm. was very interesting experience when I started actually asking myself do you really want that chocolate Uh, maybe you just want a piece of bread with cheese and butter that you haven't been eating for the past six months for example (laughs) when I was at my worst of eating disorder pardons I wouldn't eat butter and cheese and bread because the combination sounded horrific to me you know, that will make me blow. That was all before education and everything. So I was restricting my bread, everything. And then eat chocolate. And then at some moment, I feel awful after chocolate. And then when you started actually thinking, oh, I needed bread. And then I had like bread binge for two months or something. And literally started eating everything that I wasn't allowed to eat. So bread for a month or two, um, butter, cheese, whatever. And then it calmed down a bit. But it was extremely hard to figure out what do you want to eat? Because the society tells you that the soothing food is chocolate, brownies, you know, pizzas, all of this. But who knows? Maybe you don't even want them. Yeah. Maybe you don't. Like, how do you know what you really want? And as you say, to find this out, Maybe you do need those relaxation moments in your car for 10, 15 minutes and just think, what do I really want? Yeah, that's it's identifying like what what is actually going on for me right now? Am I bored, anxious, tired, stressed, uh, lonely? Because, you know, okay, if you're feeling lonely, if you go and go for a walk by yourself, you're probably not going to feel more connected to anybody doing that. Like that's, you know, that's not exactly helping the problem, but equally, if you're having a craving coming up, uh, is surfing the urge, I believe came out of smoking research where the difference between sort of like a craving and sort of an urge or a passing thought is about 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. So if you get to the other side of that 25 minutes and you're like, I actually am fine. <laughs> then you can like move on with your day. But, you know, if you have a craving that keep like a burrito, for example, you can eat like round the houses. You can like rummage in your kitchen, rummage in your kitchen. You're like, oh, but I'm not allowed a burrito. Well, actually, if that's what you're craving, that's probably the only thing that you, need. That you will, that will subside that craving. 
you can't like, oh, I'm craving a burrito, so I'm going to have a square of dark chocolate instead. It's like, ew, why? Like, that's not going to do it for you, is it? But yes, it's, and that's the thing is it's sort of like being able to manage cravings and also identify what's going on for you and then resolve that in such a way that is, you know, you're just course correcting the response you're course correcting that habit and that adaptation and at some point like boredom eating emotional eating mindless snacking all of these things they did they served you they did something for you so it's not you know you're not a bad person for having done that you're not a bad person for having gained weight it's just you know being really objective about the fact that you are human we live in an environment that drives overeating quite easily it's very inexpensive it's in our face all the time. Food marketing is outrageously good. It's all right. So now we can sort of like calmly and quietly figure out how we can help move you towards your goal. And I think that is sort of like just giving someone the space to be like, well, I, I know I, I shouldn't do it. And, you know, I, fe- I felt so terrible about it. It's like, it's all right. It's not a big deal. We can, you know, just crack on what, what, you know, did you, what was going on for you at the moment? What was it about that thing? And then being able to identify, oh, that was, well, it's just a craving and, oh, maybe it is chocolate for me because it's my time of the month or like, oh no, I was just like a bit bored or I was stressed at work or I, you know, transitioning from work to home and back again is hard for me so I actually think I just need like basically a timeout interesting how indeed so many people catastrophize what's going on and that start blaming themselves for every wrong step but those steps are inevitable and normal on the way and it's interesting how it's so so popular so widespread almost client would be hard on themselves and then you as coach explaining that nothing terrible happened it's normal you're not a bad person for that uh do you find it very widespread as well oh 100 percent. and i think that that's like dual well, there, you know, I, I'm sure that someone far more educated than myself can speak to like what the actual research says about that. But I think it certainly speaks to the fact that like we live in a society where it's sort of like you control, you can control, or especially the health and fitness industry anyway, you can control every single little thing. And you are a bad person if you've gained weight and you haven't, mm-hmm. you know, done this correctly. You don't want it badly enough. And it's sort you of like, well, <laughs> yeah, you have no willpower. You have no discipline. You just need to be more motivated. And then, so you do something that is sort of like, it's just an old habit that has that neural pathway is so worn down in your brain. And when you are in a habit loop, your brain waves actually start to like they quieten quieten down you know we've all done it where you've arrived at work and you're like i don't really remember how i got here it's a habit your brain is short again we're very efficient our brain wants to save time and energy and space okay so this is you know brushing your teeth is something you do every day i'm you know i'm present or I'm like not present when I'm brushing my teeth, right? Because it's just something I'm doing. I'm not thinking about it. And it's the same, you know, athletes go through this a lot with um, like Serena Williams probably couldn't teach me how to serve in tennis because she has all those neural pathways worn down so much from doing it over and over and over and over again that she can't actually break down into minute like learnable teachable moments like well maybe she could maybe I'm just really terrible at tennis but like do you see where I'm going with it it's sort of like her brain is working in ways that she consciously won't understand Mm -hmm. because again our brain is efficient she's done well over 10,000 hours of serving for tennis so therefore her brain's like cool we just memorize instead Mm -hmm. we just Mm -hmm. figure it out so yeah I think that 
as as a an industry the fitness industry is very quick to turn on and be like well you need more willpower and it's sort of like well again if that habit helped me cope through a particularly difficult time in my life and it's no longer serving me that difficult time in my life has subsided or I've worked through it I've cried it out whatever it is I'm okay now now the habit persists but the habit is no longer serving me it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person it just means that I you know I have to have the courage to look at my own stuff which is not an easy thing to do the most horrifying thing that you know some people can do is just sit and be alone with their own thoughts, right? So it's not easy to look at um, how you can change. And then obviously our brain wants to resist change because even if it's positive, it's unfamiliar, therefore scary. So yeah, I, I think the environment and the society that we live in fuels this sense of like, you didn't want it badly enough. And then equally, it's very easy as human beings to get carried away with like, oh no, they're, they're right. I am bad. I have been doing this for a long time. And I, you know, this is, it's really hard for me, but other people don't seem to have a problem with it. So it must be me. Very familiar. Yeah. When people start beating themselves for not achieving certain things by the age or, you know, these stupid phrases by the age of 30, you should be this or by the oh, age yeah. of 40. Oh my God. Um, very, yeah, very patronizing. And even though the Western society plays a huge role on individual and its uniqueness, on the other hand, no you have to yeah yeah the same if you don't fall in line Mm -hmm. yeah in the way right like and and there is a pressure huge pressure um on everybody um Ola do you have any I suffered a lot from that idea that it's all about your willpower and Mm -hmm. self oh I did a hundred percent and then I thought I don't have self-control what a terrible person I am everybody around have I have so many friends, skinny friends, uh, who do not have to exert any self-control because they've never been on diet, because they've never limited chocolate. That's why they can have only one piece of chocolate and say, oh, it's too rich. That's enough for me. They're genuine. (laughs) But that's because they have such a different bringing up, different neural pathways, totally different yeah exactly I was um chatting to a friend the other day and he goes oh I feel like such a you know I feel so horrible saying this but like it's really how did he phrase it and he's like I really struggle to gain weight though and I was like why does that make you a bad person I was like that's just true for you I was like it's your genetics it's your environment it's you know your appetite I was like it's not He's like, oh, well, you know, if I, if I say that people just give me a really hard time, like, oh, must be, that must be so hard that you, like, you struggle to gain weight. I wish I had that problem, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but I like, but I do struggle to gain weight. And I'm like, yeah, and that, and that is true for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it, it, there's certain, again, it's like appreciating that level of acceptance of like, there are people who are lean, who have a really easy time remaining so. And there are many, many different factors that led them to that. And it's not, it doesn't make them morally better or me morally worse or someone else, you know, it's sort of like, that's just how it is, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's sort of like, I, I don't know if that necessarily has the same impact so much as someone with like more body fat and weight stigma and things like that but it is just sort of like, oh well you know people give me a really hard time when I say that in front of them and it's like well but that's like but that is just true for you so what's the problem <laughs> everyone's just projecting their own stuff onto you like it's that's fine I'm sorry to hear that I guess also liquid calories I don't know what you want me to say <laughs> if you can't eat them you can drink them yeah genuinely oh have black coffee I was like mate you're doing it wrong (laughs) um it was a great pleasure to chat about everything in the world and um, 
if any one of you want uh, to ask Rachel more questions, we will stick the link to her Instagram than yes. to her own podcast. She has a podcast called Not um, Nutrition, Not Nutrition Guru. Uh, we will stick it there too. And I really want to put the link to your oh, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, of course. this conversation started uh, with. And um, yeah, Rachel is very approachable is all you can see. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to ask something, you know, um, more related to yourself or, you know, she has, she has experience, uh, she's coaching, obviously she's a coach full time now. So you're more than welcome. And um, if you have any questions to ask, we're going to stick our links there too. Yeah, Ola, would you like to say something? Uh, yes, um, I followed Rachel on Instagram recently and there are so many cool ideas and interesting, fresh, uh, new thoughts, uh, which resonates with us very much. So we have pretty similar approach evidence-based in terms of nutrition and very mental health informed. Uh, and I really loved how um, in our conversation today, we come back to acceptance, mm -hmm. but also responsibility. Uh, I, I think it was the main. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's, it is both, isn't it? Because on one hand, no one's coming to save you. On the other hand, a lot of the things that have happened to you in your life, you can't control. And, you know, terrible things might have happened to you. People could have been horrible to you. And, you know, no one should have to endure those things, but we also can't change it. And it's synthesizing both of those together to get yourself in a position where you're moving towards a goal that you feel empowered by and excited about. And it, you know, it's you embodying your values and that won't look the same for everybody. And fat loss isn't the ultimate goal for every single person, person on earth, you know, what, and if you want to improve your health markers, 5% is cool. Like weight loss meds might be an option. Like there's other things, like the world is changing a little bit. So, you know, we can hopefully look after everybody in our society, see everybody as a person of value and like, just help us all get a little bit better. Fingers crossed, right? We'll see. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me. I've had, it's been a real pleasure being here. Thank you so much. I'm not going to say anything because I love the way Rachel finished it all up with her lovely passage. So everybody have a nice evening, morning and afternoon and we talk to you soon.